Instead, it's a, a way more of that little bits, like fast five second visualization before I do something, uh, constant self-talk along the way. Because here's the thing, you're, you're actually mental training whether you think it or not, mm. because you may not have the awareness, but uh, thoughts are going through your head, visualizations are going through your head. This is happening all the time. Uh, you have to be able to step back and analyze and tweak it to really make it work well. But this is happening, and that is literally mental training. That's your mind that's acting on these things, your emotions, the feelings as well. So all of that is at play all the time. So we want to build that baseline, then use little tweaks along the way and bring out the bigger guns when and where we need them. That was Logan Christopher, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Lost Empire Herbs. You can get 15% off my favorite herbs for well-being and athletic performance by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. About three years ago, I got into herbalism after having Logan Christopher on the podcast, starting with the Phoenix formula, which literally had my body buzzing after I took it. Not in a jittery way, like coffee, but in a way where I really felt the herbs working with my body. Within two weeks, I was already noticeably stronger in the weight room. And ever since, I've made herbalism a regular part of my training regimen. I've totally ditched any sort of caffeine-laden pre-workout, and I really enjoy using supplements that come directly from the earth. Lost Empire Herbs was started by Logan Christopher and his two brothers to help bring back the lost empire of nature in our connection to it, and to bring the power of herbs to the general public. Again, if you want to see my favorite herbs, such as Shilijit, which has been mentioned by other podcast guests on this show, Phoenix Formula, and more, as well as get 15% off your purchase alongside a 365-day money-back guarantee, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. Welcome to another podcast. Thanks for being here today. An interesting saying that you hear so many times amongst elite athletes and, com and competitors is that the game is all mental, or it's 90% mental, or, or some high percentage. And although there are certainly general physical standards that are um, either needed or helpful to be successful in many sports. Think having the body type of an elite runner if you're going to be an elite runner or having longer arms if you want to have a better chance of making the NBA um, relative to your body height, things like that. Um, yes, those things are important, but as the level of sport increases and you do have those physical check marks or those physical boxes checked off, we need to continually be honing and improving and refining the process of um, the role of the mind in our movement and making sure we're running on all cylinders there. I'm sure those of you listening to this podcast with many years of experience have noticed that there is a definitive difference in those athletes who do reach those higher levels and do so consistently on the level of the mind. And this isn't just for uh, sports skill. Uh, these can also, or the, the skill of the mind, can also be utilized for raw skills, just raw strength, for instance. So this is a wide-ranging and multifaceted element of total performance. To this end, I'm thrilled to have back on the show guest Logan Christopher. Logan is a multi-talented individual. He's a strong man and author. He's the owner of Legendary Strength and the CEO of Lost Empire Herbs. He's been on two prior episodes of this podcast where he's discussed mental training in depth, as well as the six layers of strength, and much more. He's the author of several books, including Mental Muscle, as well as Powered by Nature, both of which I've found highly impactful reads. Logan is so good at helping us use the natural machinery of our body, our mind, and our environment to help us reach our highest potential as humans. On the show today, Logan will talk about many facets of physical and mental training. Logan, we'll start with an important facet of coaching that we haven't gotten much into before on this show, and that is on the exact language and wordage that a coach uses, uh, or we as athletes ourselves, use to describe exercises and training in general, and how those words, that language, can impact the training outcome. Logan will talk about the specific learning styles that can be used within one's visualization routines, and he'll give his take on the use of analogies and imagination in athletic skill performance. And if you're familiar with the podcast that I did with Coach Nick Winkleman back a while ago, he spoke about analogies and how powerful they are. So it was really cool to hear how Logan integrates them and his take on the use of analogies and imagination. Logan will also go into the strength side of things, 
talking about elements of old-school strongman training, as well as finishing with a quick take on why testosterone has dropped across the world by such a large margin over the last 50 to 100 years. So a little bit of a wide range of things, but again, just so important to top up, so to speak, that mental training knowledge and understanding just how important it is from time to time on this show. In the time since this podcast, I can tell you that in my own personal training, I've really been more mindful about mental processes, and this stuff is so important. I know it's going to be helpful for you and those you coach, and I'm really excited to get you guys this show. So let's get on to it, episode 281 with Logan Christopher. Logan, it's awesome to have you back on the show, man. Uh, could you start by telling me a little bit about um, either A, the workouts you've been doing recently, or B, some of those uh, non-workout workouts that you've written about, like where you work out or train throughout the day, uh, or a little bit of both. Totally up to you. Sure. Uh, well, this goes back to the term workout, which is like to work yourself out. And I don't know about you, but my my goal of my workouts is to like get stronger or faster. It's not necessarily to just like run out of energy. Uh, so even though this is just, you know, it might be, you know, linguistics or uh, what we're looking at here, I think it's actually important. So typically I don't even refer to my workouts as workouts. I refer to it as training because I'm training to be stronger, or faster, or even practice where I'm really going after something. And this is where I may throw more of the mental training or more kind of analysis of what I'm doing to try to get better. So actually by framing it differently, I'm, I'm kind of focusing differently on what I've been doing. Uh, so the non-workout workout is one of the things I've been lately doing is not really, there's no dedicated workout period, but instead it's doing sets of an exercise spread throughout the day. This was popularized by Pavel Tatsulin as greasing the groove. So instead of, you know, he might do three or five sets of an exercise in a typical workout, but with this model, instead you are doing those sets spread throughout the day. So you have lots of rest in between them. So you're as fresh as possible. And this allows you to really practice the strength that you're doing. Or This can be done with other non-strength exercises as well. But the idea is really to practice and do that uh, throughout the day. And it's, it's a good way to get stronger or build whatever attribute you're going for. I like that you mentioned the, like the linguistics and working out. And that, that would be so cultural, I guess, to call uh, training a workout, uh, meaning that you've depleted <laughs> your energy um, at the end of the session. And I've had, um, like, Mike Salemi was on the show, episode 150, and he, uh, what we talked about was, uh, and his uh, influence with Paul Check was the idea of working in, so using breathing and maintaining an, maintaining an energy balance, or using breathing and me um, methods that would restore your energy through the workout so that you mm -hmm. didn't, basically, yeah, so you didn't lose that energy balance. And I know with Pavel Satsling and then Dan John in the book Easy Strength just completely changed yep. my thoughts on Oh, wow, you should walk out of the weight room feeling awesome <laughs> about, back at, about 10, 15 years yeah. ago, having read that and just completely changed everything for me. Yeah, at, at least most of the time, right? There's, there's a time and place for everything. So there's a time to, you know, go 110%, lay it all on the line. Typically, that would be competition if you're doing any sort of that. And if, if you're not competing, then, you know, you still want to do that every once in a while to kind of push the boundaries. But that really, in my opinion, in the opinion of many of the people you're just talking about, it, it shouldn't be your normal workout. You, you don't go balls to the wall on every single workout. Um, that's a good way to hurt yourself or to uh, jack things up, have all kinds of problems, especially if you consider, you know, most people are stressed in their everyday life, right? So adding this intense stressor on top of that can oftentimes be too much, especially done over the long term. So really, yeah, that easy strength type of deal, and there's multiple ways of doing it. It's a great policy overall. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Yeah, every now and then you do really have to push your limits. And I think sometimes it's easy to, and maybe it just reflects the idea of balance in everything. It's so easy to talk about an ideal and you stick so hard to that one thing that you forget that, oh yeah, every now and then it is time to to push yourself. And I forget how often, I've had Dan on, on this podcast a few times, I forget how often in his like weekly or bi-weekly cycle, he would have like a sort of max. I want to say it was maybe once every two weeks, you would do a sort of max <laughs> type effort. Uh, I, I, I forget exactly how often though, but it wasn't, it was definitely not, um, it, it really respected balance and it was occasionally doing that. And I, I'd imagine if you're in events like uh, Strongman where there was a, a muscle endurance type component or you're a 400 meter runner in track and field or, or even any team sport for that matter, there 
are going to be moments that you are very physiologically taxed <laughs> and you have to prepare for those moments. So I suppose the balance might also be a little bit different depending on or in context yeah. of whatever your activity is. Absolutely. I, I like to differentiate. We, we tend to use the word, this goes back to linguistics, but intensity, if we look at that scientifically, right, that's a, like the percentage of your max lift you can do, right? So 100% is the maximum you can do. I like to use the word severity for effort instead, right? So people say, oh, that was an intense workout, but they're using intense in this other sort of way than what would scientifically be used to do it. So I use severity for that. And what this means is like you can do a, a max lift, like truly 100%. And sometimes that can be easy. Depends on your training. If you're like cycling up to do that, uh, how you can pull that off. But it can be relatively easy to do so uh, compared to, you know, you can lift a 50% max weight, but do many, many repetitions. And this will be very severe. And your body is going to how this affects the muscles, the nervous system, the hormones, all this is going to change based on it. So really kind of understanding that uh, how we frame these things again, and our words do matter. This is going to change how we look at things and thus the results we get. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I It blends really well into the question that I'll be asking you about, um, like the power of analogies and then learning styles and mm -hmm. our senses. And it makes me think about, I know Paul Check talks about this a lot. And I want to say like, pioneers like Joseph Campbell um, and Carl Jung and like the, the origins of words and how did mm -hmm. how did words come about and you think about the, the deeper meaning behind them and that the language that we use uh, to ourselves and or our groups you, you would think um, like a group where the coach was constantly saying working out or using words that really referenced exhaustion or were very exhaustive in nature you may be getting a group that's much more like, even if the workouts were the same, or the workouts, <laughs> the training, right? Let's see how wired I am into it. It's interesting. But even yeah. <laughs> if the training was completely the same for you know, multiple coaching cohorts, you would think that a group that used language that was more referencing exhaustion, you would likely get groups that were probably ended up being, had the potential at least to become more overtrained. Yeah, yeah, and it, this stuff is subtle in its effects. It, it reminds me of uh, in a court case, or that they were looking at this and they were describing uh, two cars colliding, right? And depending on the words they use, like crashed or bumped or different, people estimated the miles per hour the cars were going differently just based on those words alone. So even though you you probably wouldn't think it would affect you, it absolutely does to some degree, and you take a small thing compounded over time, it can really make a, a big difference. Oh yeah. I, I definitely believe that. I, I think it was the, I want to say it was the book thinking fast and slow where it was like not even direct, like in the text, but I think people were being read a message or shown a clip or video and like these sub perceptible, like words that like said, like Florida or nursing home or, you know, related to being right. old. And then they, I, I want to say that it was, yeah, sub-perceptible in whatever the presentation they were being given. They then kept track of them as they walked out of the, the viewing room. And I'll have to reference, double-check this. I, it's something close to this, at least. Yeah, but they, yeah they walked slower, yes, exactly. all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, super interesting. I So with that, I mean, that's almost worthy of a whole show as well. I, could you um, <laughs> explain, what's the, the name of that? So, or sorry, not the name. How do you spell that word, the, the, the replacement for intensity that you were utilizing? Severity. So like a severe. Oh, severity. -E oh, yeah. Severity. Yeah. So I just, I just didn't hear it. Yeah, I was correct. looking for a word that wasn't used in, in other sort of ways to, to find something. And that this really kind of like that was a severe workout. No, no one talks like that, but it is more accurate when you understand we're, we're already using intense in this other way. Uh, so that can be helpful. That's I covered that that subject deeply in my book, Master Keys to Strength and Fitness. Cool. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, yeah. This so master keys to strength and fitness. I haven't come across that yet. Um, so maybe we can mm -hmm. dig into that a little bit, and maybe um, or however much you want to cover that in context of this next question. Um, so you in the mental muscle intensive that you put out. Um, I know you referenced like four types of learning, or four ways that people most key into, um, like learning styles or processing information. And could you explain yep. these and then what, what do they mean for us in terms of our, our strength acquisition or our skill acquisition? Yeah. 
these are different learning styles. So it's just kind of a, a way that we take information in that works best for us. So the four predominant learning styles would be visual, uh, meaning being able to see something, auditory, listening to something, kinesthetic, actually doing something, and then digital, uh, which would be uh, kind of like having a checklist of things to do or even using the, the words themselves. Uh, now, everyone uses all of these, you know, short of being blind or something like that. We, we all use all of these, but we have strengths in one or more styles than the others. And uh, that also means we have weaknesses in them. So when we're talking about working out, like it, it's a hands-on type of activity, right? Uh, so most of the people that really get involved in fitness and sports, they tend to be kinesthetic learners uh, overall because, you know, they want to use their body for something like people that are auditory learners. They A lot of them tend to become musicians or at least enjoy music uh, very much so. So with sports and athletics and fitness, really the, the visual components and the kinesthetic components are really huge. So this is very useful. But you can, and anyone listening to this can think through this, right? Like if you want to learn something new, what is the best way that you can learn it? Uh, is watching a video of someone else doing it, is that going to help you to do it? Is someone lecturing, speaking about the, the topic, telling you what to do, going to help? Or would someone actually guiding you through the steps that are involved? Is that the best way to learn? Or once again, can you have like a checklist of what, do this, then do that, then do this? Uh, which one of those is going to be useful? And to some degree, it's going to matter on what the topic at hand is, right? Like this is how you do a push-up versus this is how you bake a birthday cake. Uh, but overall, you can still find what is your predominant learning style, what's kind of secondary, tertiary, and uh, the, the weakest one as well. Yeah. So how? Do, I mean, I um, well, I'll say when I took the there was a checklist in that mental muscle intensive and had some questions, and just in going through that, it's like, yeah, I'm almost completely kinesthetic. I think auditory has got to be my worst. And, mm -hmm. I, and and what's funny is that, I, like you said, I think a lot of athletes are like that, kinesthetic learners. And yet a lot of coaching is a lot of auditory, a lot of like yeah. do this and blah, blah, blah. And then just very – and it always showed up in how I ended up coaching. And again, this is where I'm limited though because I'm coaching from what I know of me. And, and I'm kinesthetic, so I'm going to coach kinesthetically. And so a lot of my coaching, like in javelin throw, for example, I didn't so much sit there and say things to people while they were throwing. I just gave them drills to feel different parts of the throw. And they would do those over mm -hmm. and over or circuit those with the actual throw or whatever. Um, so that was where my my learning style came out in that. I think for a lot of athletes, it did work pretty well. But I, I, I didn't really think much about the other styles or if an athlete might do better with you know, maybe they are way more visual than they even are kinesthetic. And, you know, we, we talk about athletes who do have tr trouble maybe just learning things on their own and they need other other senses stimulated. Yeah. So, yeah, if you are a coach and looking at doing this, then uh, just by default, we're going to coach in our own style predominantly because that's what we're familiar with. That's what makes the most sense to us. So to be a great coach, you want to have some flexibility within this. So as you're saying, if you have a visual learner, one, like, can you identify that in the first place? Uh, then can you use your, your language and your drills, whatever you're doing in a way that is going to best fit that to help them out? Um, with, with this, you can, uh, of course, then just try a whole bunch of things, kind of see what works, but uh, that is going to be very helpful to coaching in sports or anything else. Yeah. Where did you, um, like the checklist or the questionnaire that you had for that style uh, was there a resource that you you learned from or pulled that kind of thing from in putting the mental muscle intensive together for people who like are coaching groups and like, hey, how do I optimally yeah. you know see where my group is at? Um, it, yeah, absolutely. So most of this comes from neuro linguistic programming, NLP, which I'm a trainer in and a lot of the stuff that I uh, developed in as far as using for strength in sports was really taken from that, uh, realizing that you can use your language in these ways that are internal representations of how we picture things. Uh, this is very important. Just uh, I was kind of one of very few people that took this whole field of knowledge that is NLP and applied it to strength training and fitness as well. Uh, but basically, it all comes from there. So if you uh, search for learning styles, NLP, that sort of thing, people will be able to find some more material along these lines. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely try to find something like that and link that in the show notes of this episode. I just think it's, mm-hmm. again, it's like the bell curve, right? Like, yeah, most of the people you work with, if you're coaching, they're, they're athletes, like team sport athletes, probably especially like people who have to really control a lot of body control requirements. Uh, but I mean, yep. I guess anything though, really, yeah, that's, that's with the body, but it would be really cool to know yeah. that. Like if I have someone who is also in the band and maybe they're really auditory and like, maybe there's a music or a rhythm component or um, I just think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Then the, the, there's a lot there. And a, a cool thing is, yeah. Can you identify it for yourself and then structure the things that you're doing in a way to help optimize your learning or what you're able to do? Then if you are coaching anyone kind of having the flexibility there, but realizing like we, we have all have all these senses. So we do often want to bring them in. And I think it, this will go into some of our further questions later on, I think, but with visualization, right? Typically with sports, we are thinking in visual terms and in kinesthetics terms, uh, lifting weights or whatever or not. Very often we actually find the audio component is completely missing from people mm-hmm. doing internal imagination. And that, that can be okay in that it often is for guys like you and me, one of the, the weaker senses mm-hmm. here, but there's also some tremendous power when we bring that in intentionally and in certain ways that it can really boost the signal and thus enhance the effectiveness of our uh, imaginations. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that, actually, because I, I was, as you're talking about the four styles, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if I was going to work with someone visually, you show them a video, right, of them doing something or someone else, or maybe there's visualization, like of them, I think we've talked about this before, like they could step out of their body and watch themselves do it, or uh, like those mm-hmm. different things. Um, and then kinesthetic is obviously like just drills where you're feeling different parts of the movement in many ways. And then digital, you could have like a checklist or whatever. But I, I was like auditory. I mean, all I could think about is well, I could have a beat like with a rhythm to do something or I don't know, like I was trying to think of more ways to work the auditory in there if someone was really in that world. So what are some what are some more ways that you could get after optimizing the auditory uh, experience for people? Yeah, so a couple things that are kind of naturally there is uh, your breathing. Can you hear your your breathing uh, as you're doing an exercise? That's something that's typically going to be around. Then most people, when they're training, are listening to some form of music, right? Uh, in, in, in many ways, so you can bring that into your visualization as well. Uh, then we can also get more kind of imaginatory with it. We can do things like uh, imagining a crowd around us, not not yeah. just seeing them, but they're hooting and hollering, clapping, yeah. boosting you up in that sort of way. And that can be very uh, helpful to increase the energy of the visualization as well. So there's all, all sorts of different ways we can play with this. Uh, it is with visualization, people need to practice it to some degree so oftentimes if you've never really tried visualizing before like it's something we all naturally do but you you may have to add like one channel at a time okay can i just get the visual okay i got that going can i can i now bring in the Mm -hmm. kinesthetics the proprioceptives of uh, you know feeling my balance the holding the bar whatever you're happening to be doing okay now can i add in the audio channel as well and you see as you layer with each one of these it can become more realistic and are more powerful as well cool so we all have our strengths and weaknesses i mean i know yeah auditory i i like music but i've found i'm pretty poor at like tuning tuning a guitar and with by ear and at something mm-hmm. else like man i wish i was and i know i can get better if i just practice a little bit more for sure it's just one of those things you know you don't have time to do everything in your life but i just know i'm not like <laughs> it's just not like a natural super gift of mine and what yep. i would ask though is how like, let's say I'm great at kinesthetic, but horrible at auditory. I mean, how much should I like bring my auditory in, in the sense that it's never going to be my strong suit, you know, but like, is it just something you kind of trial and error? Let's, let's play with a little auditory stimulus and see if that really enhanced it. Um, any, any tips with like strengths versus weaknesses and how much you bring yep. that, that element in? Yeah, a- absolutely. The answer is going to be in experimentation. So if, and I know this is something we covered in previous calls, like you can do a visualization before an exercise. And if you do it well, it often makes the exercise easier to do. So imagine doing the same thing, except this time you're going to really focus on adding the auditory channel. So uh, we can do a couple different, right? So maybe just hearing your own breathing in some way that that can help aid you to do that. Not, not super likely, uh, but it's definitely possible. Uh, we can add in uh, like a music track into what we're playing in our own mind, right? Like choose a song you really like, something that pumps you up, for instance, or relaxes you depending on what you're going for. 
uh, we can add that in and then test your real world results after doing this. Uh, another thing, I didn't mention this before, but you can actually say something to yourself. Uh, you, you could, of course, do this in the real world, but you could also just imagine it internally. So it's basically a, a thought, but it can come across as if it is loud, uh, has a, a loud volume or a, a fast pace or a slow pace. Different ways, the quality of that audio in what you're saying to yourself matters almost as much as the words do. Mm. Uh, and in fact, more so, I would say, than the words do. Uh, the words can be important as well, but that 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 gets the difference between what is actually the auditory channel versus what is the digital. Uh, so the digital, the meaning behind the words in there, both of these can be really important. Uh, and you can test this in different ways. For instance, you saying something to yourself, or you imagine a coach, for instance, saying something to you. Uh, this also gets to kind of a, a meta program of are you more uh, in internally oriented or externally oriented and motivated by these sources so you can play around with qualities like that and once again the answer is always then do the thing and see if it helps improve your performance the the tone is is so big i it takes me back to i remember i was at um it was it was called be activated at the time and uh, probably still is um at some of these going on or i think there definitely still is i'll just probably go over that um it was called Be Activated, and it was with this guy, Douglas Heal. And, and Chris Corfus, I don't remember where exactly I first heard this. I think it was a coach, Chris Corfus, at the, the uh, workshop who said this. But, and and we've, I've talked about this or had discussions on this podcast before, but the idea of just yelling, I am the greatest, as loud as you can, like at the top of your lungs before you do like a vertical jump or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and the, the experiment was, uh, uh, I think, like 70% or 80% of everyone who did that pr their vert all-time vertical jump in that single yep. session and so i'm like oh yeah i want to try this and <laughs> and i found amazing results i went from i think i was jumping without using that that auditory signal i jumped 29 something on this jump mat yelled at the top of my lungs and jumped like 32 8 and it was like someone put a rocket boost i mean it was it was insane it was like all this power mm -hmm. that i did not know i had in the session and so then i wanted to have athletes and this is where I think some of my weirdness really got in there. I, I mean, it works. It works. It works. And it's it's a highlight. To, it's a window to, I think, you know, different or expanding levels of reality. But I had the uh, swim team try it. And it was funny because it was about half and half. About half of the team, I think, improved a little. No one, like, a lot. Maybe maybe an inch. But some people got worse. And I remember doing it with, like, a uh, also a Kaiser jumper that gave you a, a score. And But based off the tonality you know who would get better and worse. And so like if their voice right. kind of re resembled that they didn't really mean it, they didn't really believe it, they thought it was stupid, anything yep. anything there, they were going to do worse. Where the people who could actually authoritatively say it, those were the ones who got better. And I, I found that really fascinating. Yeah, so with coaching, you could then coach those and you may have to get some beliefs stuff that may be blocking people from getting it. But as you were saying right there, so that's again a coaching skill. Uh, you, you could pick up in your hearing of people, even though you're not an auditory person, you're able to pick up from the tone, which ones would do better, which ones would do worse, because that tone was reflective of the energy that was then going to be inherent to be released, essentially, in doing that jump. So, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And this is how it's powerful, right? So we could do something like that, actually saying that out loud. We could also try just imagine it inside. So let's say you're at a gym and don't want to disrupt everyone with, I am <laughs> <Yeah>. the greatest. <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's right? I did you do also, that. <laughs> you can't do the same thing just saying like, I am the greatest. You, it, it wouldn't have the same energy, right? Yeah. But we can imagine it. And if we've practiced our imagination, we can feel inside that same sort of energy as if we are saying that out loud with that same sort of tone and that belief behind it. And that would then, if you do it right, should give you a, maybe not quite the same result, but pretty close to it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because yeah, I, I totally agree. Like you can't, at a gym, it's, it can be difficult. For me, it was, at, it was at the weight room I worked in, so I was like, I don't really care who hears me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it could definitely change. And I've actually seen, I don't know if you've seen, seen anything like this, but there's people who actually measure like that tonality, like the heavy speak into an audio you know, recording unit, and it can actually... There, there's personality things that you can tell by the tone of someone's voice 
like different like emotional elements and aspects of them and then so it would, I, I think it'd actually be so cool to have people speak things about themselves like it could be anything but for the sake of this show you know what do i want to do athletically and in my training program and then it could almost give you a feedback score do you how much do you believe this about yourself no you don't believe it at all well, why don't you believe this you know i don't know i'll have to check that stuff out now that i'm just talking about it yeah yeah, the, if you think about the, the fractal nature of everything or the holographic nature, right? So there's so much information more than just the words themselves coming through in the voice uh, when we're talking about things right here or in other places. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's more to be investigated there. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com. SimplyFaster.com is a fantastic coaching resource, not only on the level of their blog and all the information they put out, but also on the level of their online store. With the click of a button, you can see and purchase the technology that is utilized by so many of the world's great coaches. In SimplyFaster.com's online store, you can have access to training technology such as blood flow restriction training, timing systems, including the free lap timing system, bar speed tracking devices, a variety of resistance training machines, such as the K-Box, and also Kaiser training units, which Kaiser training units being strongly recommended by sprint coach Randy Huntington, for example. You'll also get access to motorized sprint training units such as the 1080 Sprint, force plates, and much more. You can check that all out by heading to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. I, I did, um, or in kind of keeping on with that, I, I had this moment every now and then I have these moments where these two like, like lights connect in my head. And so in one of which was uh, all the different like learning styles um, that you talk about. And then another was, uh, I've had a guest Nick Winkleman on the show. And then I was uh, at um, Rafe Kelly's retreat in uh, Northern Washington to, uh, where they talked a lot about uh, embodiment. And anyways, where those, where those two things uh, kind of linked up was analogies in the sense that uh, you embody an analogy. For example, uh, you could say like you're going to sprint or you're going to accelerate like a plane is taking off the runway. Or you could say be Superman or Superwoman while doing this exercise, which I actually use that. I actually use superhero analogies frequently when I'm doing extra or instructing exercises that have a postural component to them, especially with young athletes. I find that works very well rather than if I just say, oh, stand up straight. You know, it's, now it's like your parents talking to you or something. You know, it's like so... Anyways, I'm I'm curious uh, where what your thoughts are on analogies and where that might fit in with um, neurolinguistic programming and then the different learning styles. So with this, this is a kind of a key way you can go with visualization. For instance, is you can go for realistic. So let's say you're sprinting or squatting barbell, right? You can imagine yourself just doing that exercise and doing it well. That's one route to go, and it absolutely does work. Uh, or we can go this more imaginative route. And so with the analogy of like be like Superman, it's really going to filter through that person's own uh, learning styles. Uh, a, a lot of it's probably going to be like a visual type of thing, right? Where they're going to imagine seeing themselves like that. And that's going to automatically change their posture. Whereas you're saying like stand up straight is more kind of that digital type of uh, instruction, right? So they might be able to, do, they have to kind of switch the sensory system it's in in order to look at that. And that's why you may see a, a better result, especially with younger people in doing that. So absolutely, I think the analogies oftentimes will be more powerful than going for something realistic, right? Uh, you ha definitely have to test and find what works for you. And there can be time and place where it's, it's some of both, right? Like the aspects where we're like brightening the image or uh, adding in these words like you can layer different analogies on top of each other but the analogies are like a, a quick easy way to do this uh, i'll give an example uh, one of the people i was training to like brighten up the image do different things all these different ways that you can play uh play with your visualization you know moving from first person to third person uh brightening the colors uh changing the size location all these different things she couldn't remember like any of the details when she went back to uh, her personal training the next week. So she just told her person, uh, picture yourself like you're on an HD TV screen, right? Just a simple cue right there, analogy, kind of, because uh, it's still the visualization. 
but doing that and the person improved, right? So how, how simple can we make our commands to help people along with that? So absolutely, those are very powerful. Uh, another example, something I've often used with pull-ups is imagining a jetpack on my back. Hmm. Makes pull-ups easier to do when you have a jetpack yeah. <laughs> doing some of the work, right? I, I love that. It makes me think too, just about just learning in general and how, I mean, I have young children and I, I know you do as well. And just the importance of them fostering their imagination. And I think about that. Um, I think I, I don't think it's, no, if it's this podcast I was talking about this on or another one I was a guest on, but I was a coach for my uh, five-year-old daughter's soccer team and uh, the, this past fall. And one of the things that I would do in the warmups is like animal, an animal warmup. And I would do that for college athletes all the time, but it, it, it was more digital for them. It was crawl kind of like mm-hmm. this, or here's a checklist. And, and honestly, I probably, I didn't make it that digital. Like I just said, crawl and, it, you know, I tried not to overcoach it, but for those, for the five-year-olds, it was just, you know, it's, it's not do it like this. It's all right be a bear. <laughs> so t- show me how a bear walks. Now show me how a crab mm-hmm. walks and show me how a kangaroo goes. And it was just funny to see some of the kids really went out of their way to be imaginative and use that to try to be the animal. And then some kids kind of had the same movement for <laughs> most of the animals. And it, would be, <laughs> yep. it, it would be interesting to track like how that somehow plugs into their, you know, how, what's their repertoire of moves down the line for whatever sport they're doing. And mm-hmm. you, I mean, ultimately, it seems that, I, I mean, there's probably a lot of people who I guess you could say don't have or don't regularly exercise their imagination as they get older. And in that case, yeah, the analogies probably wouldn't be as powerful as they could for them. But someone, we would want that. I, I've, as I've kind of gone, gone through training and I think about this even, I've, I've been doing a lot of workouts in the forest, in the, like in the woods near my house where there's these trails and I'll do sprints on the trails. And it's almost hard to do them and not at least have some level of imagination as if you're, you know, chasing someone or something or running from something in the, the forest. Mm-hmm. It's very primal. And it's almost hard not to let some imagination drift in. And it makes the session way better. I mean, it's you run more effortlessly. You feel it's not as much of a workout as it is an experience. And um, that's probably what we were talking about before. And I, don't, I just think imagination is yeah. so important. Yeah, and this speaks to some of the things we mentioned before, such as, you know, saying I I am the greatest, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So who feels silly when you say be a bear, right? Versus (laughs) who's going to actually embody it, right? So that that can be a good sign. And yeah, most people have their imaginations beaten out of them by (laughs) schooling and all that. So they, they can literally not want to do that, in which case a more realistic type of visualization may be more applicable to them. And that also speaks to another thing of, of fun, right? So we were talking about, is it a workout or is it training before? Well, it might also just be a play session. And this can be a very powerful way to enjoy your fitness much more. But also with that, like, it, it's very different. It, it's completely different approach from working out to playing, right? <laughs> you, you just don't even do the same sort of movements. There might be some similarities, but there's so much different about them. So that speaks to really this. And I, I think most adults could do with some more playing and some more imagination for sure. Oh, without question. Uh, the longer I've been a coach, like the, the amount of play has absolutely increased year to year to year to year. And obviously mm-hmm. there's the point where it's like, yes, okay, but at some point we can't just necessarily play the whole time. <laughs> it's But uh, I, imagination, I think, is something that really has been more on my radar the last maybe just even year or so but it's conversations like this speaking with you i'm like yeah like uh, uh, paul cater who's been on the show too talks about making a story like making things into a story and i just it's once you get into that or have been in an experience where it, it almost becomes a story it, it's it is it's really powerful and it's fun and i think so we, we tend to lose that like you said a lot of that gets beaten out of us like oh we can't well we just got to go and work out and grind and then that's what we do and then it's in the the you know in hustle culture and all that stuff and we don't mm-hmm. take that time to imagine right yeah the end of speaks like the great grander narratives or stories for your life that are going to dictate like we, we talked about little words like workout are going to have these subtle differences but we can look at these larger stories for our life and whether they're empowering or limiting and all the different effects that they're going to have absolutely there can be a, a lot of fun things to play with there yeah uh logan so in your in your own training uh if you could i'm gonna ask a simplistic question so if you could just pick right now uh one mental tool training for yourself uh what would that be and then also say 10 years ago what would one tool you would be choose Mm. 
interesting question. <laughs> With the mental training tactics, there's so much crossover between them. Uh, I, I like visualization and it may be something super simple like having a backpack on or just imagining the exercise and brightening the image it tends to work uh, eight times out of 10. Uh, so something very simple like that is quick, can be done internally, and it is extremely useful. Uh, so that would be my answer for now. 10 years ago, let's see, where was I at? What was I doing then? I, I would say it was also kind of visualization, but kind of a, a, a longer like guided visualization type of thing. I'm a big fan of hypnosis, and uh, I love hypnosis because of well, many different reasons, but relaxing into a deep state of mind, it tends to be easier to work with visualization. You can layer things in like belief shifts and uh, anchors and all that, but something along those lines, it takes a bit longer. Uh, you know, I'll usually spend at minimum like 10 minutes doing a self-hypnosis or whatnot, but that is uh, extremely useful as well. That takes a little bit more, I guess, skill to do than a, a quick visualization to imagine yourself as a superhero. So uh, <laughs> in my older age, I, I definitely look for efficiency of things a bit more. Yeah, I, I hear you. You don't have to, I mean, at some point, you just don't have time to do like a 30 minute or an hour uh, hypnosis yeah. series. I, I get that. But I, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, and I was thinking too, along the lines of, we talked about those athletes who they might say I am the greatest, but their tonality says, I do not think I am the greatest. In, in fact, the net mm -hmm. to the subconscious is I am not the greatest. <laughs> and, yep. and I was thinking about, well, those types of athletes or for whatever you need to work on, it's almost as if the baseline is the belief system, right? Like, and that, that's, that's the foundation. Everything else is almost working around it, isn't it? A little bit like it. Yeah, beliefs are structure, what we do, you know, everyone's heard the quote, whether you believe you can do something to believe you can't, uh, you're right. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say that's 100% true, but it's going to be truer more often than not. So cultivating that belief and, you know, there's a whole bunch that goes into that, but it, it can be these subtle beliefs. You know, we often think of like beliefs as these big things, but you know, believing in exercise is hard or easy, or I'm good at this. I'm mm. not good at that. Uh, I always have trouble. Uh, these sort of things. These are little beliefs that can be worked on and uh, worked with in a number of ways. Yeah. Um, so for your workouts now, I'm I'm curious, and I'll proceed this with just a very short story because I, I this stuff is so important, and I'll have workouts that remind me of this, and it's like, man, why don't I do this every workout? But I um I was doing a workout in the in the woods, a bunch of sprint intervals. I combined a lot of short sprints with a few longer, uh, longer like forty second or so sprints to kind of recover the shorts, and I did that for about probably thirty to forty minutes, and then I there's a giant about two hundred meter field. Uh, between me and where my car was and i was like you know i'll just do it i'm gonna crawl back and every 10 bear crawl movements i'm gonna do one push-up and i'm gonna do that the whole way back and i found after about and it was a long way it's like it's sometimes when things are so repetitive you have no choice but to either you know to get more engaged with the movement on some level and so i i started just positive self-talk partway through like just saying you know i'm strong like this just being in contact with the ground heals me like i'm good this is easy like all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't have a hard time saying it like I mean it either. And I found that the first, like maybe third, I could make it maybe, uh, four pushups. So 10 crawl, 10 crawls and then a push up, maybe four or five single push ups before I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to stop. And then once I started the talk, I literally, I probably went like 10 to 12 without even thinking about being tired. I mean, it changed everything. And so I was like, man, why don't I do this more often? And, and just even like talks about recovering too faster and everything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'll ask you is this is, are there any workouts you do where you don't like use any of the, is it, or is it so unautomatic that you're just going to find yourself using these for your workouts? Or do you um, just tell me like the frequency of where the mental comes in in your current workouts? Yeah, I, like you, I, I know all this stuff. I've written books about it and I could do more myself as well. I, I would say I do. So here's an interesting thing about mental training. Yeah, how much of it do you have to like specifically work on some sort of mental drill to kind of get there in the first place? You were saying like, you know, this is easy or I believe in myself. Like once you embody that, once that's real, like that, that sets your base level. Uh, so my base level of all these things, like when I go to lift a weight, I'm typically positive about it and 
uh, believe I can do it. I don't need to necessarily work on that, but that hasn't always been the case. So mental training is not just a then and there type of thing, but also kind of a, a building thing over time. So these days I, I don't do a whole lot unless maybe I'm working on something new where I am really kind of focused on mental training for that, like doing a hypnosis for a specific thing, for instance. Uh, but it's instead, it's a, a way more of that little bits, like fast five second visualization before I do something, uh, c- constant self-talk along the way. Because here's the thing, you're, you're actually mental training, whether you think it or not, mm. because you may not have the awareness, but uh, thoughts are going through your head. Visualizations are going through your head. This is happening all the time. Uh, you have to be able to step back and analyze and tweak it to really make it work well. But this is happening, and that is literally mental training. That's your mind that's acting on these things, your emotions, the feelings as well. So all of that is at play all the time. So we want to build that baseline, then use little tweaks along the way and bring out the bigger guns when and where we need them. Yeah, I like that. I like the. It's almost like the quote of your your mental training every session whether you think you are or not it's just what is the quality of that mental training you you can yes. impact that so it's yeah like like you said it's like when you have the baseline beliefs and you've trained your system just the same way like if i'm learning the hurdles and i learned to hurdle well there's certain things that are going to be more on automatic um but i yeah i, I think yeah do we, i mean do you agree yeah. with that for the the belief system the, the way the men the mind yeah to agree so here's uh the i guess flip side of that right so yeah i can do a five Uh, second visualization and perform reasonably well, uh, hopefully enough to set whatever sort of record I'm going for. Um, But if I spent like five minutes, really like focused, dedicated mental training on that, could I perform better? Pretty much absolutely 100% of the time. So it is that give and take depending on all kinds of other uh, factors involved as well. So one of the ways to think about mental training is how much time are you spending on it? How much of your energy and focus is on it? Because if you look at any sport, right, all the greats say like the game is 90% mental, uh, sport after sport, like everything, right? So we've all heard this. How many of us actually believe it? How many of us actually embody that, right? So you certainly can always do more. And I would encourage people to do more. Uh, Don't let me say this, you know, oh, you're always doing mental training. So that allows you to not focus on it at all. Because people definitely, if they want to get really great results, uh, you're going to have to learn some things about it and then specifically experiment and practice. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think, I I remember last time or the first time I think you were on the show and I, this has stuck with me ever since is that, yeah, everyone, so many elite athletes like, oh, it's, the game is so mental. The game is so mental. And then, but no one trains. All we like, do is physical drills. <laughs> yes. But all we do is physical drills and we just leave it in one layer deep so often. Um it's, Although it's because it's so slippery, right? It's <laughs> it's you know a coach can't see behind the person's mind unless they can tell it from the outside by like looking at them, listening to their tone of the voice. So it's it's harder to do in, in that way, which you know things that can't be seen as easily tend to not get as much attention on them. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, if it's simplistic and right in your face, then we'll we'll do it. It's easy. Oh yeah, I got this. But if it yeah, mm-hmm. if there's a few layers deep, you can't see it. Yeah, it definitely becomes and it becomes something that not every athlete is going to really want to do. I mean, but again, I mean, just, I just, I'm glad I did that, you know, with the swim teams, like just saying, you know, say, I'm, even though it was kind of like, Oh, what's coach doing? You know, it, you could see so many interesting things. And it makes me think too those athletes who do say it's all mental, maybe as per what you were talking about, whether they were intentional about their mental or not, maybe they just had the belief systems and they had the mental processes that just by default, like they were just more gifted or, their upbringing was better in that area and that helped them to achieve mm-hmm. what they did. And maybe they just didn't, they just took it for granted and just said it was all mental, even though they maybe had the advantage of needing to work on it less than someone who wasn't quite as good. And maybe that's part of it too, you know? Yeah. Different people are certainly going to, as we said, like you're doing mental training, whether you think you mm-hmm. are or not. So some people are going to by default be better at it and fall into these ways without necessarily like learning all the details behind doing them. That being said, if you want to like consciously upgrade, not just have, absorb whatever unconscious beliefs or various things along the lines, then going like under the hood and actually looking at the uh, techniques and what kind of specific mental drills we can do is a pretty surefire way to improve your performance. Yeah, yeah. So often I've seen it so many times where there's the athlete who just falls apart uh, in critical 
moments in sport or just is so inconsistent. And uh, oftentimes coaches just kind of leave it as well. That's just how they are. And, you know, it's, it's not that change isn't easy for sure, but there's always things that can be done. It's just, yes, yeah, often, not often addressed. That's for sure. Yeah. State management is hard, but I mean, that's what competition is. There's a physical thing, but everyone knows like if your mental and emotional game isn't there with it, you can have the best athletes that just fall to pieces. Uh, so it's as important as all the physical preparation. Yeah. Uh, so transitioning here quickly, and I wish I would have had more time to get to this section, but that's okay. Maybe we can <laughs> do more on it some other time. Uh, this, these fascinate me. Like you'll, you'll send out these emails on old school strongman training and things. And, and this podcast in so many ways, I, I like covering all these different corners of human performance. And a lot of what I tend to talk about is speed and biomechanics. And in some ways, uh, like old school strongman is, is, is almost a different category in some ways. But to me, that the archetype of, that archetype is so awesome and fascinating to me, and I, I don't want to ever get too far from just that spirit of strength. And uh, maybe for this section, could you kick off with uh, what are some feats of the old school strongmen that, uh, despite all our our fancy, I guess, uh, training schemes and how far we've, I guess, come with training, <laughs> uh, that that can't be touched, like things that old school strongmen could do that are just still mind blowing, and we wonder how they did it. Well, the first one that comes to mind is the old school lift, the bent press. That's B-E-N-T, not to be confused with bench press. Uh, this was also called the screw press. No one does this these days anymore, except for a few people that like old time strongman stuff. It literally involves, uh, it's, it's pressing a weight overhead with one arm. However, it's not really a press in any normal function. You're really bending your body away from it so that the arm itself isn't moving, the, the lower arm. Uh, as you are descending down and then you you bend over your body until you, your arm is locked out and then you stand up with the weight. It's a really awkward lift. Uh, it takes a lot of balance. It takes a lot of coordination and skill, uh, but it's also a lot of fun. So Arthur Saxon, uh, old time strongman that used to perform around the world, he lifted 370 pounds uh, on one arm doing this lift now this that's more weight than most people can lift off the ground with two arms so it's it's pretty amazing to think about i i worked on this lift for a while i had a goal of doing half of what arthur saxon did uh of my body weight didn't quite get there then unfortunately my uh, gym burned down so that kind of stopped my whole thing but i i handled 175 pounds while i weighed 185 uh in this manner and that was that took a lot of dedicated training but as i said it's a very fun lift um so yeah, that's one example. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty wild. I mean, part of it, I suppose, too, is those just lifts just aren't quite as popular anymore. But somehow you feel like even if they were, like going much over three seventy five is I mean, that's for one arm and that that's pretty yeah. that's pretty stout. Yeah, there's there's a number of other people that did like two uh, in the two hundred pound range uh, over the years. But yeah, it's the lack of popularity. I do imagine you know because you know whatever humans set their mind to they can achieve. Uh, so if that became popular again, <laughs> then someone could eventually come forward and be able to do that. It's just that record has st stood the test of time. And I believe it will continue to just because uh, no one's really going after it. Yeah. Whoever's listening to this, <laughs> if you, you want to go after, I'd just be curious. I'd be curious if everyone just kind of for one year, everyone just kind of abandoned all other strength practices and just tried to see what they could <laughs> do in those old school lists. I'd be really curious. Yeah. Um, another thing that comes to mind is the uh, Farmer Burns. Uh, he was a catch-as-catch-can wrestler, uh, very famous. Uh, a feat of strength he did, and this is one's not recommended, is he would take a hangman's drop uh, in a noose and then uh, not break his neck and die. And then he would, while hanging, whistle a Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pretty off the wall again not recommend anyone do that but uh it's just i i don't know anyone that's going to replicate that one there are some other people and myself included like I, i'm working because i've been looking for a challenge of just hanging myself by a rope but i have no plans of ever uh doing the hangman's drop aspect of it yeah i remember when we did train together that one time uh for the last podcast you were working on that specific skill and i just remember just yeah. just how just looking at how demanding it was just to hang there and not let alone a drop like i was like how could anyone ever do that that was so 
that just looked brutal. I was like, that, that's next string for you. <laughs> yeah, and 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 whatever that guy's mental process had to be to actually do that too. Like, holy cow! Like, yeah, I, talk about belief in yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it, unbelievable! I, it's just that's that's incra- That's just crazy. I'd be interested to just sit down and have a conversation with that individual. You know, like sometimes yeah. people who are capable of so much of those things. They're they're just different. They're they're fundamentally. Yeah, and I wonder about the training going into that. Did he progress? I imagine it was progressive training of like you know an inch at a time taking this drop because uh, that's kind of how I approach all 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 of this is progressive training, right? But yeah, what was his, the thought processes, the different steps they took leading up to there? It's not something you would just on a whim. Oh, I think I can do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> jeez, it's that. Yeah, that's crazy stuff. Um. What was I going to ask? Oh, so with um with some of the old school strongmen, and I ask this because I I like exploring different aspects of these things. Is breathing? I've had a few podcasts where we've talked about different breathing techniques, um, but I think they've been a little bit more directed towards um like endurance sport or recovery a little mm-hmm. bit, and a little bit or or um even like the body's inner working pneumatics and expanding certain spaces in the body. But I haven't really had any shows where we talk about it in regards to just power and strength. And you had an email or article recently explaining how old school strongmen, that was a really important part of what they did. So I'm curious of how that that was, what they or what type of breathing did they use? How did it fit into what they did? Yeah, breathing's a great thing because it's kind of like visualization. You know, you can do all this stuff with this. A breathing is another route to all all different aspects of human performance and ability. Uh, so when we're talking about strength, I mean the and this is taught by many people uh, these days as far as like pressurizing and being able to uh, generate internal pressure using not just the musculature but the breath in addition to do that, which can involve holding the breath and in certain circumstances, but also the pressurized exhaling uh, of the breath can really help to increase things. For the most part, that is going to help a whole lot with uh, different power type movements. And again, this depends on if we're doing like slower movements or explosive, then with explosive movements, the timing of the breath is extremely essential to being able to do that well. The different old-time strongmen would have Oftentimes it would be that kind of like regenerative breathing exercises, different practices like that, that they would do in addition to doing these lifts. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, so could you give me an example of um, how they, within the context of what they did, like where the timing might fit in? I mean, I guess we we oftentimes will do a lift and say, okay, exhale on the way up or whatever. I mean, how, how might um, some of the movements they were doing fit in with a timing of, of that compressive force of the breath? Well, if you're talking about uh, explosive lifts such as the Olympic jerks or snatches, then, uh, you know, it's the same thing as as you would see with people today. Obviously, the people today have a lot better technique than they have back then. Back then, when the sport was first getting started, it was much more about muscling the weight and the technique slowly got uh, improved year over year uh, from different people. Uh, But essentially, the, the breathing would be much the same with that as far as like when to hold your breath, when to exhale, when to breathe in, how much, like how full of your lungs you're going with all that, uh, all that's going to be very important. And it's really going to be, while there are some generalities, like, you know, breathing out as you're lifting, for instance, uh, there are some specifics on some different exercises and it can depend on power versus endurance, for example. Because yeah. like, uh, I like to use squats as an example, right? If you got a heavy barbell on your back, you're wanting to breathe in at the top or as you're going down to build that pressure belt uh, across your torso. And then you're going to be either holding the breath or exhaling as you are going up or just at the top of the lift. But if you are doing bodyweight squats, a hundred of them in a row, you can breathe in that same pattern, but you're generally going to move toward anatomic breathing. That is, as you squat down, you're actually breathing out because there's less room for your lungs. And then uh, breathing in as you're coming up, uh, that's just a natural anatomic uh, position of the squats that is breathing for you, this concept of being breathed. And this is great for endurance. So it's not like there's one right way of breathing. It really depends on what you're going for. Gotcha. Um, well, cool. Really interesting with that. I know it's always it's always good to kind of look at the different all the different realms that the use of the breath can can live in. It helps me to definitely get a better mm-hmm. picture of all of it. 
so last question here, uh, Logan, and maybe this is kind of old school, but I, I ask it in the sense that uh, I believe you've you've highlighted this, but I, testosterone I think has dropped at least in the United States. I'm sure in other countries, uh, in average male, yeah, worldwide yeah. <laughs> across the world, uh, in in uh, males. Uh, well, I mean, I guess maybe females too. I don't know. I mean, obviously they have a lot less, but. Uh, why why has testosterone dropped so much in the last 50 years? And then uh, maybe explain some some ideas that might be able to help us mitigate some of that. The basic answer is pollution. Uh, we have a bunch of endocrine disrupting chemicals that are everywhere in our environment. They're in the, the soil from the, the food that we eat, which it grows in there. It's in our water. It's in the very air that we breathe. Uh, this comes from things such as uh, plastics. Most people have heard of bisphenol A, BPA, uh, which is removed from a lot of things, but it's often replaced with other bisphenols. Uh, there's phthalates. There's all kinds of different chemicals that may mimic estrogen, be anti-androgenic, anti-thyroid, because all, all, all different causes uh, and causal effects across the hormonal system. Uh, so unfortunately, because of how we humans have been on the world. This is something that has spread far and wide. Like you can find chemicals such as DDT, which disrupts uh, hormones as well as much else uh, up in the Himalayan mountains. So this, this stuff unfortunately is everywhere. So one of the biggest things, and this is why we see the uh, population level decline. So, you know, most people are under the somewhat accurate idea that uh, testosterone declines uh, as we age, uh, that's not the full picture, right? Because there are people that are in their 50s, 60s beyond that have really high testosterone levels. So instead of like focusing on what's going wrong, let's like look at what they're doing. Uh, what, what can we do to get there? And if we see that we have this overall population decline, then it's more important for even younger guys to be focusing on this stuff. So the, the number one thing to do is to reduce your exposure to these chemicals. While it's everywhere, uh, you certainly can do a lot as far as reducing exposure. So this means eating organic food, uh, drinking uh, fresh and or filtered water uh, that does not have these chemicals. And most uh, municipal tap supplies are pretty horrible, unfortunately. Uh, skincare products is quite horrible. This is definitely a, a bigger issue for women than for men. And this may be one of the reasons we see higher thyroid disorders in women is the use of makeup and skincare products is uh, significantly higher. So you, you want to look at all these different things. Then the, the first step is to minimize exposure. Then we want to add in things that can help support the systems. For instance, many people are deficient in zinc, which is uh, hugely important for testosterone, as well as a host of other vitamins and minerals that are, of course, important. Uh, eating the right foods that can help with this, the right sort of training, sleep, uh, all the basics. When I, when I talk about testosterone, it's really like a healthy living plan. You need to like overall do this and then for the focus on testosterone, just kind of a few tweaks uh, that make it specifically on that. But overall, just you need to have a good foundation of health if you want to have a good testosterone level. Yeah, I find it interesting. Um, I mean, everything you said, right? Like, but yet people will not look at any of the lifestyle indicators or the even I mean, with the pollution, it is crazy. Like you're saying, like, it's even in the Himalayas. I was like, where do I go? Can I live like on the mountain, like be your neighbor or something? You know, <laughs> live in a mountain, California. I mean, it's, it's sad that you can't really escape that. But it's also interesting, like people won't think of anything. They won't think of stress, nutrition, what they're putting in their bodies or on their bodies, right? Like that, that was a change I actually made this past year was the like just fragranced, even just body wash. And then it was funny because there was a little bit of this mm -hmm. like blue body wash left in my shower. And I like, I didn't want to use it. Like it just sat there for months because I was like, I don't want to use this. <laughs> but, Here, here's a clue. Things should not be that kind of blue color. <laughs> generally not a good sign. If, yeah, if what you're putting on your body is blue, probably not a good idea. Well, so here's something to keep in mind, like anything you put on your skin is going into your body. It absorbs through the pores. You actually may get more absorption through the skin than you do eating things. So in general, do not put anything on your body you will not put in your mouth. <laughs> if you can live by that rule the majority of the time, uh, you're going to be a bit better off. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's it's all um, yeah, just that like holistic element I think is is really important and, and not mentioned often enough. I I'd imagine a lot of those um your book uh, Powered by Nature, I'd imagine a lot of that stuff is in there. I feel like I remember hearing a lot of those types of things in in that book. Yeah, that's Powered by Nature is all about living healthily to support our performance and health 
and happiness as well. All the different details, like so much of chronic illness and uh, lack of health is because we have like moved too far away uh, from nature uh, in very specific ways that uh, that book goes into extensive detail on. So that can be really useful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, good stuff today, Logan. I, I really appreciate your time. You've given me a lot to think about. I, I think I'm definitely going to have to stick with some uh, mental mental, t- mental training. I'm always doing it, but some top-ups every few weeks just to make sure like that crawl mm-hmm. I did the other day. And uh, you give me a lot to yep. think about. Uh, anything before I let you go, anything um, on the horizon for you, new for you that's coming up that you want to uh, share with anybody or any um, new products that you've come out with that you want to mention? Uh, not too much new coming out right now. Just point people to websites for more on the strength training, including the mental training side of thing. Uh, check out legendarystrength.com. Then something we didn't even really touch on today, but I have a herbal supplement company with herbs that can help with all different aspects of performance, including in the gym, uh, on the mat, et cetera. Uh, I believe we talked about those in some of the other calls. So be sure to listen to those old episodes if you want more from me. Uh, but that you can find a bunch more information and see what's available there at lostempireherbs.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Logan. I really appreciate it. Yep. It's been great. Good, uh, wide reaching conversation. I enjoyed it. That finishes another show. Thanks for being here with us. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can uh, help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you're listening to. We'd really appreciate that. We'll see you guys back next week with another great guest.